This is The Ascending Life with Pastor Josh Blevins of Grace Calvary Chapel. Why would you want to go back into a relationship with God that is based on fear and on your performance and on His unapproachableness? When you can come through Jesus and the doors can be opened and you can be invited in, you can be made new and you can have peace with God. Don't go back, run forward. On this race, remember where you came from. Remember what God has done to bring you into His favor. What does it mean to run the race? Running the race means approaching your relationship with God intentionally and with discipline. But it's hard to reach this point. How do you build your relationship with God and stay focused on Him? In today's message, Pastor Josh continues through the book of Hebrews and tells you that when you run the race, it's a marathon, not a sprint. Jesus is the ultimate champion who empowers you to run with perseverance. By relying on Jesus, you can build a strong relationship with God. Now, here's Pastor Josh in the book of Hebrews chapter 12 as he continues his message, Climb the Better Mountain. There are a lot of people who don't want to live in the new covenant grace and faith that Jesus is enough. They want a Mount Sinai to climb. They want to be able to reach the peak of the mountain and say, look it, I did it. But try to climb Mount Sinai on your own and you're going to find a God that is holy and just and that you are not enough to reach on your own, on your own merit. You know, for those who live in Mount Sinai, if your relationship with God is based on your own performance and being afraid of God of what he might do to you if you mess up, that is a very hard way to live a life with God. In some ways, it's easier because if you do really good, guess what? You can feel good about yourself. If you meet all your own standards, check off your, okay, I didn't do that this week. I didn't smoke and chew and go with those who do. And I didn't, that's, I don't even know why I said that right now. That's... <laughs> But we do. We, this, is, this is human nature. It's human nature. It would have been for the Jews, right? The audience Paul is writing to, oh, you know, we need to just go back and make the sacrifices again, and we can just set up our own system. We can kind of feel comfortable in both worlds, and we can just trust in something else. People do that today. People who are conservative-leaning but don't want to approach God through Jesus, they'll kind of do the whole, yeah, I believe in God, you know, God, faith, and country, and you know, I'm pretty moral, and I do this, and I do that, and I got all my lists of, of things, and I, and I, you know, this defines, I have self-defined what good enough is, and I meet all my, my own self-definitions, all my own standards. Well, that's, that's easy. But for the person who recognizes they're not enough, I think there are still people who do believe in Christ, and, and they do trust in Christ, but they're still fighting. Their relationship with God in their mind is, God is happy with me Monday if I did what was right by my own standards. God's disappointed with me today. I might not be saved tomorrow because if I do something really bad. And they're constantly living on Mount Sinai. A God who's distant, a God who's not inviting, a God who, who they need to be afraid of and ashamed of themselves. Right? This is the kind of God that they're living with in Mount Sinai. And when I say that, we recognize something very powerful, and that is the nature of God. 
That is the nature of God. But so is the next mountain. Same God. Paul says, you have not come to Mount Sinai. When you come through Christ, you don't come to God who is unapproachable. You don't come to God who has closed the door in your face. You don't come to God who, is, who you can't connect with because you are a sinner and he is holy. When you come through Jesus to Mount Zion, you come to a God who has invited you into his presence. You come to a God who has declared forgiveness over your sins through the door. Jesus said, I am the door. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. And when you come to Jesus and you come to Mount Zion, as he will describe, all of a sudden, that same God through Jesus Christ has now invited you into his life, his family, his kingdom. And here's what we get to as we look at verse 22. We see the nature of Mount Zion. He says, but you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, to the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. And so here he lists seven destinations of Mount Zion. When you come to Mount Zion, you come to these seven places. And of course, Mount Zion was originally physically a Jebusite stronghold that King David came and conquered. Ultimately, he brought the ark and he called the place, the name of the place was adopted, Jerusalem, the city of the great king. Mount Zion then, when Solomon, David's son, came and ruled and he built a temple to God in Jerusalem, he brought the ark of the covenant there to dwell. Mount Zion became the symbol where God's presence and salvation, watch, go home, do a quick word search, Mount Zion in the Old Testament. You will see things like salvation flows from Mount Zion. Mount Zion, the city of the great king. It's a place where God's presence and salvation comes out of to those in need. This is Mount Zion. It's not the place of law, it's the place of grace. It's not the place of performance, it's the place of acceptance. It's God making a way possible for people who shouldn't be able to approach him to approach him. And notice the seven, briefly I'll tell you, go through these seven destinations of Mount Zion. He says, when you come to Mount Zion, that is you come to God by faith in Jesus Christ, you go to seven places. Number one, you go to the city of the living God, the new Jerusalem or the heavenly Jerusalem. The city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. So when you come to Jesus, what you are doing is you are becoming a citizen of a heavenly city. Your citizenship literally changes. According to chapters 12 and 13, the heavenly city that he's talking about now spiritually is within us, but is one day physically coming among us. This is exciting news. We are now spiritually, we are citizens of heaven. Paul says this in Philippians 3. He says, for our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly await for the Savior, the Lord Jesus, who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is even able to subdue all things to himself. I like to put it like this. The Christian lives both in the present and in the future. The Christian now is in the kingdom, but the kingdom is coming. 
The Christian is now a citizen of heaven, but heaven is coming. And that creates a space here where God wants to do something heavenly in and through us here and now. Regarding the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, in Revelation 21, John has a vision of the day that God brings forth his city to the earth. Listen to this. Then I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. He will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. And everyone who has that hope says, Amen. That is the day that we look forward to. That is the city that we are a part of. And the beauty of that promise is that that picture that we see of that city coming and Jesus reigning and ruling on the earth and literally doing away with all things that have damaged his creation is that here and now, we get to experience peace of that city here. We get to experience God's peace in our pain, God's healing in our hurt, God's salvation in our distress. And yes, we still long for that day of heaven, that, that day we sing about. Why? Because we recognize that the city is not fully here. It's coming. Notice the next thing that we're welcome to in Mount Zion is an innumerable company of angels. And this is a fascinating statement because Deuteronomy tells us that as the law was given, these angels or these ministering spirits were there administrating the, the, the giving of the law on Mount Sinai, you almost got the sense that the angelic beings that God is surrounded by, the book of Daniel, the book of uh, Psalms tells us that God is surrounded by 10,000s of 10,000s of angels, innumerable amounts of angels. And on Mount Sinai, those angels were there to keep the distance. Just like remember in the Garden of Eden, when mankind sinned and were, was expelled from God's presence, God placed what? At the door of the, the entrance of the garden. He placed an angel with a flaming sword to keep the distance from man and God. And yet on Mount Zion, there are angels. But you know what? The tone here in the language, of the Greek language, some of your Bibles say it, to an innumerable, joyous company of angels. In Luke chapter 15, Jesus said, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So even the angels, our relationship with angels change in Jesus. They're welcoming us. They're celebrating. They're, they're waiting for us to become part of that heavenly city. And angels, to the believer, they are messengers of God. They deliver direct messages to the believer. They can. They can rescue and free and protect those from dangerous places. Peter experienced this. Paul experienced this. They can come in visions. Angels are very active in the life of believers. Angels are very active in your life. God says, God, you know, Jesus said that children have angels. I don't know exactly what that means. It's where we get the kind of the concept of guardian angels, but certainly angels do battle in the spiritual realm. They do God's will. But here's, I don't want to get sidetracked on this, but I just want to say it. A few things that angels don't do. Angels don't want worship. Angels of God don't draw attention to themselves. This is needed to say in today's new age 
movement of the world that has infected the church. In the Bible, when you see people just by nature at angel's beauty or an angel's majesty, because they're beautiful, majestic creatures, falling down to worship, the angel does what? Stop. Do not worship me. Worship God. And any angelic experience that detracts away from the person of Jesus is not coming from angels of God. It's coming from demonic spirits. And you need to just be aware of that. Touched by an angel? No, not really. (laughs) Which, by the way, I don't want to personally insult anyone, but this very principle ought to really concern Mormons. Really should. When an angel from God, Moroni, comes with a new revelation of the gospel that detracts away from who Jesus historically and biblically is, that ought to be concerning. And Paul knew that, which is why Paul told the Galatians, if we or someone who comes in our name or if anyone, even an angel of heaven, preaches to you another gospel than what you have received, let him be accursed. That's not coming from God. But back to the benefits of Mount Zion. Then he says, number three, that we have been... Coming to Mount Zion, we come to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven. When you come to God through Jesus in faith, by his grace, you become baptized into and spiritually a member of his church. Now, for some people, that doesn't seem like a benefit. In fact, I had a conversation this week, like, someone who just was disillusioned by the church. And how, how frequently do we see that? This, well, you know, people in the church hurt me, and I got stabbed in the back, and this leader fell into immorality, and this, and this pastor taught, you know, was, was controlling and was manipulating the sheep, and, and I, just can't deal with, I just can't deal with the church. I just can't deal with, with those people. I can just have my own relationship with God, just me and Jesus, without the church. Well, not really. As dysfunctional as your family is, it's still your family. You can't get out of it because Jesus has adopted you into it. And we have become partakers of one another, the Bible tells us. We being many are one body in Christ. And I don't say that to excuse bad behavior of Christians. It breaks my heart to see how much bad behavior has given Christ such a bad name has disillusioned people from going and being part of church. But you know, in times where I've become critical of others in the church, I have to remind myself to look in the mirror (laughs) because I've got enough issues and problems of my own that other people have to put up with. I need grace for myself. And so we are in, and notice a general assembly that is the call together. Spiritually, you are part of a church that, that exceeds boundaries, that exceeds space and time. You are part of a church that is all over the world currently in this moment. Your fellowship is with believers you don't know. Have you ever been visiting out of country or out of state and you go to a church you've never been at? And eh, their worship's a little different and the style's a little different. And maybe they're bent a little different theologically. But all of a sudden, when the word's taught, the people start loving each other and they start singing to the Lord. It's like, yeah, I'm home. This, these are my people. It's because they are your people. You are part of the church. And, and note that promise, who are registered in heaven. I love this. You know, when I've gone on vacations before that are like, we got a tight budget and we're going to try to go on a vacation. It's like, okay, let's make some reservations 
and let's find like the cheapest thing we can find. And I'm really excited that my name is like reserved and registered in the books of heaven. And there's like no Motel 6s. And there's no sketchy VRBO Airbnbs. And, it, and it's something I could never afford. Something I could, ne- could have never purchased. It's something I could, I could have never dreamed of. And Jesus, with his own blood, reserved my name in heaven. And Peter tells me that that name cannot be removed from heaven. No, no man, no one can take that name out of heaven because it's been sealed by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And that is an incredible hope and an incredible promise that God knows my name. Everyone else here might forget your name, but God knows your name. And this isn't in my notes, and I don't want to sidetrack too much, but it came to my mind, and someone might need to hear it today. Uh, I don't know if many of you are still reading the one-year Bible with us, but if you've caught up or you're with us, uh, a little few weeks back, we got through Nehemiah, and there's two chapters in Nehemiah that are like all names. It's like, Hashpatite the Tethethite, and, and Hoseziah the Methuselahite, and you know, it's like, what are all these names? And, and I remember when I taught through Nehemiah, I was teaching on a Sunday morning, I came to these two chapters, I'm like, what am I going to do? You know, I'm just going to read all these names. And the Holy Spirit really spoke to me. And he said, uh, he said, Josh, aren't you grateful that I know everyone's name? Like, there's not one person in the church I forget about. There's not one person I see as wasted. There's not one person I look at and go, I I don't know where I can use you. I don't know if I I have a plan for you. I don't know. No, every person at every place on the wall, in every family, in every situation, in every circumstance, I pay attention to it. I know it. It's recorded in my book. And when I think about our names being registered in heaven, what blows my mind the most about that is that God remembers you, not just us. He remembers you, and he called you by name. And then finally, uh, well, not finally, but we are our next destination, Mount Zion, to God. We come to God, the judge of all. And again, that might be frightening. God is the judge of all. God on Mount Sinai was the judge of all. And God is still that same God who was on Mount Sinai, who is unapproachable in his holy nature, But the good news of how we approach God, the judge, is found in the next verse, verses 23 and 24. To the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. So when you and I come to God, the judge of all, we come through now the mediator, Jesus Christ, who has sprinkled us with his cleansing blood. And to the spirits of those who have gone before who have been made perfect by Jesus. I love this picture where Jesus has brought to us not the law on Mount Sinai, but grace on Mount Zion. And notice this little note here. It says, the sprinkling of the blood that speaks better things than Abel. And that's kind of random. Well, Abel, what what does Abel have to do with any of this? Well, you might recall when Cain jealously killed his brother Abel because God accepted his sacrifice and rejected Cain's. And Cain got jealous. He killed his brother Abel. And when God approached him, what was said about the blood of Abel? His blood cries up from the ground. And the blood of Abel was crying for justice, crying for vengeance, crying for judgment. And here he says, 
Jesus's blood being sprinkled on the unclean, on the sinner, the blood that he shed that spilled down the cross and soaked into the ground, cries up as he delivered that blood on the altar in heaven before the Father, cries up not for vengeance, but for reconciliation. Not for justice, but for forgiveness. Why? Because Jesus' blood absorbed all the wrath, absorbed all the judgment, absorbed the justice of God for us, and it speaks to us a better truth, that God has accepted us by his grace. And so when we look at all of these mountains, the twin peaks, so to speak, Mount Sinai, Mount Zion, what's the point? I think Paul is looking at his audience and subsequently looking at us and challenging us with this question. Why would you turn back to Mount Sinai after you've been invited to go to Mount Zion? Why would you want to go back into a relationship with God that is based on fear and on your performance and on his unapproachableness when you can come through Jesus and the doors can be open and you can be invited in you can be made new, and you can have peace with God. Don't go back. Run forward. On this race, remember where you came from. Remember what God has done to bring you into his favor and keep running the race that is set before you. Finally, and we'll end here, verses 25 through 29 speak to us of the nature of God's kingdom. So we've seen the nature of Sinai. We've seen the nature of Zion. We've seen the contrast between the two. And now he motivates our life by saying, what does God's kingdom look like that we are now a part of? This is important. Stick with me. Verse 25, see that you do not refuse him who speaks. For if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, how much more shall we not escape if we turn from him who speaks from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth, but now he has promised saying, yet once more I shake not only the earth, but also heaven. Now this, yet once more, indicates the removal of the things that are being shaken as of things that are made, that's physical, and the things which cannot be shaken may remain, that's the spiritual. That's all a little dizzying to you. Here's the main thrust of his communication. First, he is saying, just as God spoke on Mount Sinai and his voice thundered and shook and the people heard his voice and they're like, Moses, don't let God talk to us. We don't want to hear his voice. It's going to destroy us. That was a powerful voice of God. And he said, if they ignored God's voice from that mountain, their end was doom. How much more that God now speaks to us from heaven to ignore the greater covenant and the greater gospel and the greater invitation and the greater truth that God is speaking through Jesus Christ. Every time the Holy Spirit convicts you of sin, every time you open up the Bible and his truth hits your life, every time the gospel of Jesus is preached, it's God's voice thundering from heaven. Repent, be saved, be born again, be reconciled to God. And the Bible, clearly, Paul is giving us a warning here. To ignore the voice that speaks so plainly and clearly and loudly, everyone will be held responsible for how they responded to the invitation that God has issued by shouting the, the gospel of Jesus Christ into their life. Everyone will be responsible for how they've responded to that. And here's the encouragement that takes us back to chapter three. If you, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. That's all we have time for on today's edition of The Ascending Life with Pastor Josh Flevins. Thanks for tuning in. The Ascending Life is a ministry of Grace Calvary Chapel in St. Joseph, Missouri. 
And our prayer is that today's message from the book of Hebrews impacted your faith journey in a mighty way. If you have any questions about today's message or would like to connect for other reasons, feel free to give us a call at 816-279-2090. That number again is 816-279-2090. If you'd like to listen to today's teaching again or hear others like it from Pastor Josh, just visit theascendinglife.com and click on media. You can watch our YouTube channel, read our blog, or listen to our podcast. Or better yet, visit us in person. We meet each Sunday at 8 and 10 a.m. and would love to have you join us. At Grace Calvary Chapel, we believe in awakening people to the love, truth, and power of God. If you're looking for a place where you can experience the love, truth, and power of God, we'd love to be that space for you. All are welcome, so come just as you are. For directions and other information about who we are and what we believe in, visit theascendinglife.com. Be sure to like and follow us on Facebook and Instagram to receive daily encouragement too. Well, that's it for today. But thanks again for tuning in to today's message with Pastor Josh. Join us again next time to learn more from the mighty book of Hebrews right here on The Ascending Life. Reaching up, we're pressing in.